Payo is a payment platform made by Hospital for Hospital. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Visit payo.com.au. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We are straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, with today's podcast, Rebecca Lyons is the co-owner of Barangaroo's Tequila Daisy, and boasts an impressive resume when it comes to hospitality and wine. Rebecca is an also an award-winning sommelier who has trained through the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Rebecca and her husband Hamish were behind the award-winning Bar H in Surrey Hills and then moved Harborside to Barangaroo to open and manage Banksy Vermouth Bar and has since been reborn into a fun, fresh Mexican concept called Tequila Daisy. So I feel fortunate to talk to Rebecca today on the podcast. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Thanks for having me. Fantastic to have you on. And obviously, I've done my research on uh, Tequila Daisy. Is The last couple of weeks, I've known that we're going to chat and, and done a lot of research on, on everything that's going on. So it's really been exciting to finally talk to you. One thing I really want to ask you, as I do with, with most of my guests on the podcast, is like, how did you start out in the career? Because everything I've read about you is just fantastic. So I really want to hear about how you started. Probably like many people, you tend to, a lot of people tend to fall into hospitality. Mm-hmm. I left home pretty young. I think I was 15 when I left home, not on the best of terms, so I kind of had to fend for myself mm-hmm. and went about multiple different types of jobs, obviously. You kind of just get what you can when you're 15 years old mm-hmm. and, um, you know, did the old Burger King, <laughs> those sorts of things, but... First, I went into retail and and those sorts of things as well. But my first real hospo job was I was 17 and I got a job in a place in New Zealand, which was kind of like a nut, kind of like a nightclub. You might kind of, it was like a daytime until 6am type thing. Coyote ugly, to be honest. I had to get up on the bar and dance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Actually on the bar itself. On the bar itself. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I had, yeah, so it was this thing where I would I would do my, I worked at Country Road and I would work from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. at Country Road selling clothes and then at 6 p.m. I'd start, you know, at the bar and work until 6 a.m. the next morning. And they started me as a shooter girl, you know, you had to right. walk around in the crowd with the shooters, the test tubes back then. I remember that, yes. So I had to. I did that one night, and then I flatly refused to ever do that again. I was like, "Not doing that again." You can put me in the bar or not at all. Um, <laughs> so I got thrown in the bar, and it was one of those bars that was like 
six deep and you know six wells wide so it was like six cocktail bartenders and and but well, bartenders and and you would have like it would just be like crazy you'd be serving six wide and six deep so it was kind mm-hmm. of it literally was like kodiak you'd be like sliding beers across the you know across the bar top and and then they'd just break and then they would put on like a michael jackson song and you'd all have to get up and start lucky you how long did you stay there for i was there for about a year and um ended up dating the manager he was like 10 years older than me and so you know obviously he'd been in restaurants and that sort of thing in bars for a long time so i kind of i guess then i kind of got into the world of you know dining out and you know found a love for wine and really nice food and those sorts of things mm-hmm. um and because i dated you know dated him for a couple of years so I guess that's kind of where that initial kind of love like of that world kind of came from. It was so much more interesting and fun than retail, you know, where you just folded clothes all day. Um, and so I guess I kind of moved on from from there and kind of got hooked into into doing, you know, and, the, and the, the management there moved me to a new site and, you know, made me a manager and stuff like that. So, so they kind of really, it was called Park in the Bar. It's really well known in New Zealand. And so they took me to other places and I kind of just fell into, you know, into into hospitality and then I just could never really get out of it. Just so every time I would kind of try to move on from it, you know, I studied architecture and interior design and all these things. And every time I kind of stepped away, something else would draw me back in. So it's kind of this long road of kind of being pulled back into into things. I was studying architecture and an architect was like, come to Australia and work for me, you know, and I, as soon as I got there, it was so boring in the architecture office. And <laughs> I just was like, I was walking, it was the Surrey Hills and I was walking around. It was like the Clock Hotel and Billy Kong and those sorts mm. of things. And I was just like, oh, maybe I'll just get a side job, you know, for a yep. bit more money. <laughs> Something on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of <laughs> course, it was like, actually, I still love this more than sitting in that boring office. So, I, you know, I kind of got trapped back in it again. Did it, when you did that architecture job and obviously left that and went into hospitality, did you did you always have visions that you go back into architecture, or was it was it the fact that you just loved hospitality so much that it just sort of drew you in? I don't think that I. I think I'd worked out. I don't. I was like, oh, I'm not sure that the architecture's for me. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll move on to kind of interior design. I really worked out that a lot of architecture was just about kind of like sitting on a computer and joining up staircases. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not what I'm a bit more, you know, not a bit more, you know. Fun and pizzazz. More sort of fun to me than that. So I kind of worked out that that wasn't for me. Yeah, And right. I thought, well, maybe I'll do interior design. So I kind of went down that road again a little later, but I met my husband and had a baby and he wanted to open a restaurant. So, again, <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll shelve that. So yeah. So how did that come to be with with your partner Hamish? Like you guys got together and then you decided to do a venue, or was it was it the venue that came oh, first? No, we literally got pregnant in about two months of knowing each other, right? And and so kind of just it all kind of just happened. Um, he'd been looking to do that himself anyway, and then we just kind of all just collided, and you know I was pregnant within. I don't know, maybe a month of proper dating. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, by a year he had a baby throwing up on his shoulder and, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And he was like, oh, you know, I just want to open my own place. And I was like, okay, but we've only just met and I'm doing interior design and, mm. you know, you're doing, you want to open a restaurant. I know how stressful that is. And then I'm, you know, we've got a one, you know, we've got a one-year-old. How are we going to make that work? I just can't see how it'll work. We'll just fall apart. We won't be able to support each other. So I said, oh, look, I'll give you a year of my time. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That year obviously never ended. Yes, <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And what was that? What was that first venue that you guys did? Bar H. That was Bar so, H. Yeah. Yeah. So we found this was you know that site kind of just it was we actually knew them Ken and Keith Ken had worked for you know Kylie obviously for for years and so mm. Hamish and and Ken knew each other well and that was their building they actually lived upstairs and he had a cafe downstairs and Hamish had kind of been looking and you know generally kind of looking and then Keith called him and said do you want this site and I, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more pushy I'm kind of <laughs> like well this is this is it just take it like if it works it works it's meant to be and so yeah we ended up taking it we had no money <laughs> I don't even know what we were thinking but I was just like you know what, if it all falls into place, darling, then it's just meant to be. Like, just, you know, let's just do it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we ended up taking the site and, um, you know, that was its own whirlwind of trying to work all that stuff out, mm. um, particularly with no cash. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it kind of wor- it worked out and, you know, we were there. That was seven years that we had that place. Wow. Yeah, before we obviously, you know, five years in, I think we – or six years in, we got Banksy. And we'd done, we also had done the um, Four Seasons, sold for the Four Seasons for a year in between there as well. So Right. So what kind of cuisine did you have at Bar H? Asian, yeah. Asian, okay. So like yeah. Southeast Asian sort of cuisine, that kind yeah, of that that kind was, thing? Yeah, uh, was Japanese, um, Chinese kind of blend. Yeah, right. And did you still have that concept going when you were doing the consultancy work with Four Seasons or did that... Did that come yeah, afterwards? Yeah, we stepped out and did some consultancy and stuff for them for a year. And okay. then the woods and the grain and grain bar at the time. But that was just a consultancy-based thing. We were, you know, so Bar H was still going. Yeah. And, you know, we had a really, we had some really great long-term employees. You know, Nicole, was who was actually with us at Banksy as well, she was with us for, in the end, you know, a long, really long period of time. So, she, you know, they all kind of knew what they were doing. So, What did you like the, between the difference of, you know, obviously hotel establishments are slightly different to normal to normal venues like what did you see as the main differences that you liked about something like the four seasons as opposed to what you're doing now oh well there's a lot of politics in hotels yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure that poli- I'm, I'm i don't think i'm made for politics that's for sure <laughs> fair enough uh yeah there's a lot of politics in hotels there's a lot to learn in hotels in terms mm. of like a lot of it is just about like <laughs> bless them but no one actually ever wants to make a decision because you know if you don't make the decision then it can't come back on you sure so, yeah, there were often meetings about the meetings and then there was another <laughs> meeting about it. And I was like, no more meetings. Just make a decision. <laughs> no, I can't have another meeting about the meeting about the meeting. Yeah. Like, you just got to decide. Yeah. yeah. Especially in those bigger groups as well, I'd imagine that's a, a big challenge to sort of push through. Like, there are so many people involved. Literally everyone wants to have a say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's many levels. And, of course, you know, not many of them want to be that person who kind of puts their neck out to say yes because then – they're all kind of trying to climb to the top and get just moved across to the next place. And, you know, mm. just, and if you, yeah, if you stick your neck out, then, you know, that gets chopped off. Right? Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. 
So talk to me about the concept uh, with Tequila Daisy. Like, how did that come about? Obviously, it's a it's an amazing site from what I can see in Barangaroo. Like, how did the concept uh, come about with yourself and Hamish? You know, some of this kind of I'd, I'd had this sitting in my mind for a while. Like, I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great to have Mexican down here. I'd be kind of sitting on it pre-COVID. And then COVID obviously happened. You know, some of it was like about this feeling of rejuvenation and, and kind of like, I don't know, it was so, during COVID, it was just so flat. Mm. You know, everyone was so kind of like depressed and <laughs> like just, there was just no energy. And I kind of just wanted to put something back into the world that had a fresh new energy to it. And I think some of that was also about revitalizing us as well. And, you know, being like, no, we need to be, you know, excited about something again and, you know, kind of have interest in like part of what we do is actually about creation. And so it was just this like, you know, we need color and vibrancy down here and just some energy and, you know, to put that all back into the world that was kind of having a hard time. So a lot of it was to do with that kind of just this idea of like, you know, and and then long-term kind of plan and long-term when we looked at what the area was and and would be, it made a lot of sense. Sure. And what was the, what was the reason behind choosing Mexican Mexican as the cuisine that you you landed on for the brand? Because it wasn't down there. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, that type of an area is right for, for Mexican. But, you know, in saying that, like, obviously my husband's cooked various Asian cuisines, Chinese, one of them. I actually see a correlation in how they use flavor and those sorts of things as well. So it wasn't even a stretch to kind of think about him cooking, you know, and creating Mexican dishes because in my mind, when I looked at the cuisines, they, there were some similarities in in how they, in how they make depth of flavor and all those sorts of things. Mm. So it didn't feel like some, you know, weird big stretch. I mean, obviously he can cook whatever, but um, it didn't feel like a big stretch in terms of, in terms of his idea of of, of flavor and food. Mm. So felt like a comfortable extension of what he'd done before. Oh yeah, totally. yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to sit down and have drink margaritas down on the waterfront? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> seems fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the tequila range you've got as well because I've, I've seen uh, that you've got about 100, 100 lines of tequila, 100 different skews of tequila, which is pretty impressive. But I want to talk about you as a sommelier. Um, we've, had, we've had the benefit of having uh, a lot of great psalms who have been on the podcast. What got you interested in wine and appreciation of wine in the, in the first stage because that is such a tough path in the hospitality industry to go with. A lot of knowledge needs to be had, obviously. Like what got you interested in wine? Uh, well, as I said, when I right back for that first job where obviously <clears throat> I ended up dating manager who was like 10 years older than me, as I said. So I had already kind of right from then, from 18, and that's when you're allowed to start drinking. Um, I'd already found an appreciation for wine. Like I loved wine, mm-hmm. you know, nice food and nice wine and that sort of thing. And I guess I'd never kind of necessarily gone down that road. But when we, when I realized that I was going to be stuck in the, restaurant world and I would be Hamish's business partner and partner in life, obviously, but, you yeah. know, the other side of of this kind of, you know, the restaurant in terms of he was kitchen and I was floor. I was like, ah, oh, well, no, I need to be the best that I can be in order to offer, you know, the best version to be able to compliment him. And that means I need to, um, 
if I'm not going to be doing if if I'm the if I'm not going to be doing what I was doing, which was interior design or whatever it was, then I, then I need to think about making myself as good as I can be. <laughs> so I started studying wine. What did what so I was like, Well, if I have to do this, I'm going to be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this question, but does it did it take you a long time to feel confident in? wine and your knowledge of wine because you can never really i feel like being a sommelier like you'd never really stop learning right like how did you sort of start to feel confident yeah uh, look obviously i'd been doing it for some time i you know i'd done other i'd been at other restaurants and that sort of thing and i'd Mm. done i had started tafe course earlier years earlier in it so i i had a, a very good backbone of knowledge anyway it wasn't like a like whoa I'm out of my depth because I had already had such a good base in terms of understanding. By the time I'd sort of done that the first set, like I felt fairly comfortable in in the you know my understanding and, and knowledge and palate. Well, I'm Hark was very young at the time, and I used to go to the library, the actual library, <laughs> to study and during the day. So I'd go to the library, but. This is kind of around the time that the wine library opened in Paddington. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we would also sometimes go to the wine library and Harper's like, is this your library, mummy? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Just for people as expert as me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so, you know, by the time I'd kind of done that, I, you know, I'm fairly confident in what I was doing. But then yeah. I guess it's just years of, of years of tasting and years of, you know, doing tastings with people and all that sort of stuff is there any kind of i was going to say is there is there any kind of advice you give people who are starting their journey into the love of wine and wanting to be you know a sommelier and and really understand wine and alcohol a lot more yeah there's only so much reading and knowledge that's important the important part is being part of the community i think so uh, you could you know read all the books and have all the details in terms of theory Mm-hmm. And actually, that's not really what it's about. That theory helps you to understand things, but it really realistically is actually being in the trade and, and going to tastings and talking to people and talking to winemakers and tasting wines with people um, consistently is kind of what it's about. And I think, and especially once you go into the job, actually the job is still just about the customer getting something they enjoy. They actually, you know, you can know all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not mm. selling them something that they actually enjoy, then there's no point. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, that that's a tool. The technic- That's just a technical tool. I think you need to actually be in and, and talking to customers and, you know, asking what they like and finding out what they like and talking to winemakers and talking to other psalms and tastings and that sort of thing is the just a break in the podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September to Melbourne. For nearly four decades, Fine Food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery. Visiting Fine Food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this is a free event to attend, so make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to the podcast. is actually the most important part. Is it hard with the customer sometimes to actually navigate what they actually like and, and actually give them a recommendation? Or do you find that's quite systematic and quite, 
I'll use the word easy because I can't think of another word, but do you find that's actually quite easy with the customer to actually navigate what they, what you think they're going to like on a menu? I think, um, look, without even being a SOM, I think what you find is once people have been in this trade for a long time, there are cues and there are things that, you know, like I've always kind of been like, Look, don't ask me why, but I know who a martini drinker is when they sit down, right? Mm. So there are things that are like these ingrained, learned things when you're serving people that you can actually pick up on things well before you even know or have asked what they like. And some of that's just obviously generally so you're assessing people constantly. We don't really know we're doing it, but we're assessing people constantly. Mm. And you kind of start to learn what what different people will like. So some of it is that. Some of it is you actually already have an understanding of of customers, and you understand just just through the gen like generally talking to them and generally kind of you know how that how you perceive them. You gen- there are some generalizations, right? And they 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 tend to kind of they tend to fit. And then of course. You know, once you actually talk to them and you start to guide, you know, start to guide them in different ways. Generally, it, if you've got someone who knows what they like, there's something that they can compare it to. Sure. So there's always something that they can say, even if they don't know a lot about wine or really what they like. There's always, there are always questions in order to be able to find some comparison to be able to go, okay, yeah, I, I generally know where this person sits. Mm-hmm. I just think, again, that's an experience thing, right? And that's just actually, you don't have to be a SOM to be able to do that. That's just the experience of being a waiter. Mm. And just um, understanding. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, no, I think that's fairly easy. So in regards with the beverage program at Tequila Daisy, like how did you go about developing that? Because I may, it looks quite extensive. So how did you how did you go about actually developing that at the start? Uh, I, obviously, I got in a lot of trade to bring in tequilas to try, tried a lot of tequilas, but which was quite funny. I think ordinarily they, a lot of them usually deal with bartenders, not necessarily SOMs. And almost all of them said to me, oh, I've never seen someone take notes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen anyone take nice notes when they're tasting tequila before. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, didn't even occur to me that it might be the case. But, yeah, mm. no, they don't I, because SOMs will always take notes and I think ordinarily people don't. So I just tried a lot of tequila and, you know, obviously wrote notes about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but tequila is a funny one because it's very hard to get. So a lot of the time you're just kind of you're getting what you can because one will sell out and then you've got to kind of get something else. So yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a revolving door. I think it's a little bit like natural wine, you know. Tequila is like the natural wine of the world. Um, it's like, yeah, you kind of get it for a little time and then it's that one's gone for another nine months and you got to get something else. So yeah, I guess that keeps it quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And how are you sort of refreshing that beverage program now? Is it sort of because of the challenges of supply chain and getting actual stock in? Is it is it more based on what you can get in rather than anything yeah, else the time it is literally what's what's available and coming in so mm. you know you can't like this we only have so much room on a shelf really it's just looking at what the availability is for items and then you'll get it when it comes back in but maybe in the interim you know you, you you'll have something else come in so 
it is literally just a revolving door of what is what what is available and what you're kind of interested in and um in that sense and then it's kind of like yeah but if i if i've got one then i have to lose one so otherwise you're just in you know there's no we're already logistically kind of like got not a lot of space so let's talk about the venue itself like have you guys learned any efficiencies at the moment now that we're dealing in a situation in which it's so hard to recruit talented people inside the industry again um, and obviously you're in a very competitive market even in Brangaroo with the amount of venues around you have you and Hamish like learnt any efficiencies in regards to staffing during this time very difficult to find efficiencies staffing. <laughs> you know like it's uh, yeah I, staffing's a hard one um look to be honest, you know, one of the things when we when when we went through COVID the first time, you know, the Mr. Yum and and um, me and you were kind of just coming into the market, um, and you, we have a large area which is outdoors, which is weather dependent. So it always always made sense. The only difference was that I never wanted to implement it because it wasn't quite consumers weren't quite ready for it and certainly not down there sure but during COVID, obviously everyone got used to qr codes and that became you know it's like okay well we're we all know how qr code works we've all had to sign in etc etc so we do use mr yum for all of the weather dependent area and that makes sense there's no way that we can staff it you know it was always and certainly through COVID, you just never knew how, how many people would be coming to the city and when. So, you know, you needed to kind of be able to flex up and down quicker. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just have staff rostered on and then they're not needed because it rains or it's windy or, you know, it, it, it rains and, and literally they go, oh, I'm not coming into the office because it's cold outside. <laughs> so <clears throat> you kind of, you know, it was definitely like, yeah, we, we have to be able to use something like this. And also coupled with that, consumers had become more used to it. Mm. And I think that those things will continue. Uh, I think that the that there's going to be there's going to be a lot of space for that in terms of going quite digital, in terms of uh, especially mid market dining um, and that kind of lower lower end. I just mm. think that that's pretty much one hundred percent where it will go. I think that there's some. There are issues with that, and that is kind of it is still p- perception that it is quicker just to ask somebody for a drink, you know, like oh no, but I just want someone, to, I just want someone to serve me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah, but if that's like you want to be out in fifteen minutes, you literally would have to have a server just for you. Yeah, <laughs> possible. <laughs> so the where we kind of have to get faster, but they're getting, you know, the technologies, they're doing really well, those things. But part of it is we have to literally get to where it's a tap and go, you know, like we have to get to the point where they don't have to enter their credit card details and that sort of thing that they just go, yeah, cool, tap just like you would on a credit card machine, you tap Mm -hmm. it and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how they need to operate. It should be literally tap it and all the information's there and it holds their credit card and, you know, that's it. And they choose their things and yep. happy days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that that will be the case. So they, you know, they'll get to where that is, you know, easy because things have to be easy for people and convenient. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, that's 100% those things will happen. And it's just about, you know, about them being fast enough for somebody to operate. And what I find is the older generation don't really, they're, 
not great. They're like, oh, I don't really want to have to do that thing. <laughs> um, and younger people are like, oh, great. That mm. suits me just fine. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't want to talk to anyone anyway. I just want to put in what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. So that's kind of been really interesting to watch. And obviously, we, you know, we for those areas, we're like, yeah, you can head up to the bar, of course, to, to grab a drink, you know. I'm not going to tell you you have to do it that way. Mm. But I think we'll we'll see more of that. We'll see more of those things becoming more efficient. And when they become more efficient, I think they naturally will take over us a lot of those, a lot of, a lot of where we're at. It'll never, you know, the, the dining end of things is different, but I think in terms of the kind of grab a drink and grab a something to go, you know, like that sort of side things, we're going to see a lot more of that happening. So... Mm. And in general, that helps with staffing. It mm-hmm. doesn't, people kind of say, oh, it brings down wages. It's like, not really. You still have to have the, the bodies to run that food out to them and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but it certainly helps in terms of condensing, you know, your efficiencies around it. Mm. Did, did you find that you had to change your steps of service uh, for your customer experience a lot? Because obviously you you guys are, a, you know, a premium fast casual restaurant like, it's not as if you're a QSR. So like the experience no, no, level is so important there. Like, yeah, we have two different spaces. Okay. So we have like what we call our dining terrace, which is, you know, the terraces where, where obviously you book the table and, you know, you have a waiter and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. What I'm talking about is what we call the bar area. And the bar area is like inside the bar or a lot of it's just kind of additional seats we have that are not covered. They're just weather dependent. So right. we cannot ever operate them under a booking dining you know experience because it might rain sure um so they are distinguished as two two different things and one is that the bar is you know that casual drop in grab a drink and you know you can sit there and keep ordering your drinks and you can all pay your own way you can because obviously you can split your bills and that sort of thing and then the other is that the dining terrace is a bookable restaurant side of things the more premium part yeah Yeah. okay Uh, my final question to you rebecca is like you know now that lockdowns are over and we're seeing sort of the end of the we're seeing the light at the end of this very long tunnel like what are you guys excited about moving forward for tw- the rest of 2022 and into 2023 obviously you've got a cracking venue you're obviously doing really really well um you've weathered the storm like what are you guys excited about moving forward yeah i mean well it's a tough one isn't it i think everyone's pretty nervous with the market right now to be yes. honest so it's hard to yeah i mean it's hard to be excited right now i think it's that thing of like you just it's like yeah i think it's just about looking forward and, and going yeah but this you know that does nothing last forever and so we're kind of, we're in the process of kind of having a look at other venues so there's a couple of things on the horizon that we're kind of looking at. It depends on kind of what, you know, what pops up. There's another sort of another CBD site that we're looking at and, and something nearby us as well in terms of where we're living. So, yeah, it's kind of just we just have to kind of weather, weather the next, you know, storm, which is the, you know, global market and inflation and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, cross our fingers that that's a shorter lived. <laughs> <laughs> What no one wants to call a recession. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, shorter lived and kind of project out to the future and kind of see it through, I think, in mm. that sense. So I think anyone who kind of has gone through COVID and come out the other side of it is generally fairly, you know, they're, they're 
like, okay, well, I've just been through all of that. I'm sure I can, you know, I'm sure that I can wear whatever comes at me in the future. Is, is that sort of the way you're thinking about potential opportunities moving forward? Because obviously, you know, we are dealing with a, a staff shortage that is going to take a while to come back, if at all. Yes. And then obviously supply chain challenges, which are driving up inflation and driving up menu prices across the board. But then, you know, um, I'm sure real estate prices that you're being offered for new sites aren't dropping dramatically. Um, you know, so how does that make you feel about, you know, did you see that as another challenge in, in your long career in the industry or, or does it make you sort of really hold back and think about the, like the actual monetary outlay that's going to be involved in a new venue a bit more? A little bit of both, I think. Yeah, I just think, I mean, no one's sensible would do it and keep doing it. You know, like, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I just really think that hospitality people should be, like, celebrated because ultimately, um, you know, most of them really truly do it because it's this thing they just is, like, envelop their life and, you know, and they love it. You know they love food and they love wine. You know and mm. and all of that sort of stuff. And they and you know even to the point that I've realised I love serving good customers. You know, like I, I'm like you know, there's been so many times where I'm like I'm just so over. Like I'm so over it. Um, and yet there's this other part where there is such a joy in in making somebody, you know, and making people happy. And I've got to tell you that that is not easy today. (laughs) People have gotten harder and they've gotten, you know, it's definitely become harder to meet people's expectations. And and I don't know if that's part of COVID and people have come out of it and they're a bit more like, you know, I've had a rough two years or whatever it is and, Mm. you know, like, I, you know, I should just get what I want. It's all about me. (laughs) Um, And there's definitely that happening and it has Mm. become a lot harder. And yet in amongst that somehow, I am still like, there is still a joy to, to actually, you know, what we do, which is, you know, is, is people, um, as well as that, you know, the creative side of food and drinks and, and venues and all of that sort of stuff, because that's definitely a big part of, of why we love it. But yeah, I, you know, there is still that pull of like, yeah, the simple pull of, you know, I've been on the door for seven months because there's no staff. Mm. Uh, and there's still that joy of like greeting someone really happily and kind of like, you know, like, there, there is still a joy to it. And, and I've had so many incredible, beautiful customers over the years who, who you know, really actually bring me joy to serve them. Um, and I think that, that I think it's a big trap. <laughs> <laughs> a, big, a big yeah, happy trap at some points. <laughs> yeah, it's like it just keeps you in there because it's not, I can tell you, it's not about the money. <laughs> yep, that's it. I totally agree. Because that's just a big sinkhole. Yeah. Yes. We yeah. Just keep sinking it back in, but um, yeah. So I think I think hosp- people who run restaurants and hospitality venues should be celebrated by people because they are definitely it's almost a community service, <laughs> you know. Yeah, most definitely. Sometimes yeah. a not for profit as well. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I, I think that we should not give them such a hard time. Mm. Like, I, there's, it's, there's not really a whole lot of greed out there in the, in the, in the, in the, in the true hospital world. There's very little greed happening. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Um, I hope people listening to this podcast hear that and feel a bit more humbled by your kind words, Rebecca. Beck, what's the best way that people can come into Tequila Daisy or – because I, I think there's going to be a couple of people who may want to reach out and want to work for you guys because they've heard your story and they want to resonate with it. Um, but obviously drop in and, and have a bite to eat and have amazing tequila. Uh, what's the best way that people can find out more? Uh, they can head to our website, obviously. Um, and, of, you know, we're a beautiful big venue. You can just literally walk in and have a margarita. But uh, they can head to tequiladaisy.com.au. Beautiful. It's always linked up in the show notes of the podcast. Rebecca Lyons, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I definitely know I did. Now, please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so I'd really appreciate you sharing it along with those that you know. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principle Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principledesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. We're doing a lot around people and culture as well. Thanks so much for tuning to another episode and until next time, stay safe everyone. Payo is a payment platform made by Hospo for Hospo. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. No apps, no downloads required. Give your customers the convenience of lightning-fast contactless payments and the option to split the bill however they like. Get more tips with Payo Checkout's integrated tipping system and get paid upfront once your customers have confirmed their payment. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Setting up Payo Checkout is seamless and pain-free. Visit payo.com.au.